Good morning, Joe. It's Monday, the 11th of April. It's sunny in the Netherlands, probably rainy in Norwich. And, it's lovely uh, and sunny, mate. It's lovely and sunny here, but I, I'm unfortunately unable to make the most of it. Shall, shall we uh, Shall we start off with uh, something positive? Yeah, yeah, let's start off with something positive. What should we go for? My COVID test. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, well, we're... Uh, um, I've got another positive then as well. <laughs> you've got it too? I've got it too. We've both come down well, with COVID. Well, um, yeah thinking uh the race was on sunday and uh pretty like within two days after the race i uh came home and i the junkyard dogs kicking off joe the dogs are kicking off my dad's uh out there trying to sort out my uh open get my endless pool up and running and the dogs are keeping an eye on him they don't like him slacking off and he was just stopping stopping <laughs> work for a second the dog's like all right come on your tea break's not yet <laughs> <laughs> all right um anyway yeah so two days after the race uh I, I i came home i walked home from the train station and i was out of breath again and i'm saying again because i remember the day before the race i was saying to you like i was walking up the stairs i was like and we we uh well there was some covid around town and we've been like only sitting outside uh walking with face masks everywhere i remember the day before the race i was out of breath and i was saying to you like fucking hell do you think i've got it and you said don't test. It's only going to play with you mentally. So I didn't test. I didn't like super bike, like was good. Uh, didn't wear a heart rate monitor, but then on the run, I just thought I couldn't cope with the heat. I've run my slowest marathon due date, like three hours, 17 run legs felt pretty. All right. I just couldn't push. My heart rate was super high. I ran four, four, uh, per kilometer. What, what I normally don't even do uh, during a long and easy run. And my heart rate was like 150 and I had no clue what was going on, but I didn't have any symptoms apart from, uh, well, I had diarrhea, but I thought it was due to nutrition. Um, day after the race, well, bonkers uh, on the booze, celebrated and uh, was hangover. Didn't know whether my enormous headache came from that or not. Uh, still no real symptoms. Uh, then I came home, walked home from the train station, and, well, I was out of breath again. And I was just having a laugh and saying, ha-ha, shall I do a COVID test? And because uh, literally not everything was all right, apart from constantly out of breath. And, uh, boom, that came positive. And I think from there, it just went downhill, really. And now <laughs> it's, uh, oof, it's Monday again, and I'm feeling uh, fresh. I'm going out for my first ride today. Well, yeah, still depleted, but yeah, looking forward to seeing how uh, how that goes because uh, you obviously knew that you had it before me. So, uh, but I, uh, yeah, I, I wonder if uh, we had it before the race or not. Like, um, like I'd been training so well, like before it, running was the one that I was most confident about, and then in the race, I just felt so flat on the run. Like I, w- I said to someone on the phone yesterday that normally the first 13 miles of an Ironman is like for free, isn't it? You don't normally feel like you're really working. You're kind of like, mm-hmm. you feel comfortable. Everything feels nice. And then like the fatigue starts to get in and it's like a gradual build, isn't it? You know, um, you, you know, it's like a slow burn. Whereas like in that race, I wasn't even on the pace I wanted to hold from the first kilometer. It felt hard. I was like, you know, having to push the whole way. Felt like I wanted to walk. I mean, it was just a day from. It was just horrendous, really. And I, like, it makes you wonder. Like, did did was it like a little bit in my system before, you know? And like, you're kind of fighting it or not? But it was just strange mm-hmm. how I felt like that. I've never felt like that on the run before. Like in the past, when I haven't run so fast, it was just because I wasn't as fit, you know. Like, but it still normally feels comfortable at the start, doesn't it? And then it just the effort catches up with you sooner than later, you know, when you're yeah. fit. I think the effort just catches up with you later. But it was just strange, but. Yeah. Let's, uh, so for this week, we're going to talk about uh, uh, COVID as the main subject. Uh, with that, like, how should you get back into training? What do people say? Uh, a bit more detail about uh, how it all went for us. Um, I just got a notification well. come through on my uh, my Apple Watch saying like flight to America, like check it, like basically three hours, like give me a three hours heads up because I was meant to be flying to Flagstaff today and uh, doing like two and a half weeks at altitude. And then heading to St. George, but I literally mm-hmm. booked everything on Friday, did a COVID test on Saturday because I felt I started, that was when I really started feeling like rough as anything, like ill. Um, and um, yeah, it was like positive. And then I'm like, oh shit, like I'm meant to be, uh, I'm, meant, I'm meant to be flying on, on Monday 
thought I'll see how it is on Sunday, mm-hmm. positive on Sunday as well. And I'm like, God, I need to cancel everything. So I had to cancel everything literally like 36 hours after I, after I booked it all, which was really, uh, really frustrating. Really frustrating. So many athletes, so many pro athletes as well as athletes, uh, after uh, um, like I've heard that they've been that they've caught COVID, except from the ones living in South Africa. Yeah, yeah, that's exactly what I said to the person I spoke to on the phone. I said it seems like the only people that really didn't do it were like the ones that were in South Africa. And I wonder if part of that is because you're able to stay at your home for longer. You come into contact with less people. You know, I mean, obviously a lot of people that were traveling from Europe or abroad had to travel there, you know, earlier. Um, mm-hmm. You have to get on a flight. You have to mix with people there. And then it just puts the amount of people that you come into contact with a lot more, isn't it? You know, whereas like if I was doing, say, I'm Man UK, I'd be at home trained until like, you know, the Thursday before the race, I'd drive there stay somewhere and the amount of contacts that you come into are a lot less so i mean for people that are racing in st george or any races to be honest i think that's a massive thing to think about because it's not only will you ruin that race it's like if you catch covid it could really jeopardize the rest of your season you know some people are taking months all right well uh get a bit more in depth into that uh later on uh any other highs and lows this week joe my travel was like the absolute travel from hell back like the worst plane journey i've ever had in my life so like i turned up at the airport like the first flight from uh port elizabeth I think airports in general is just a guaranteed cocktail of shit isn't it this one you can was... never have an airport experience where you're like oh, i just love flying it's just so awesome so smooth everything is always according according to plan this one was the biggest nightmare ever like I turned up for the first one from port elizabeth to uh joburg that went okay kind of thing, like checked in. But then when I went to go on the plane, you know when you get onto the last bit, like the gate, like my ticket yeah, yeah, went yeah. red on the thing, like they scanned it for last time, went red, the one went, oh, don't worry, you know, I'll sort this out for you. So I was like, all right, sweet. But obviously they'd fucked something up when they checked me in, um, but I didn't know. <laughs> so when I got to Joburg, we had an eight-hour layover. So we went out for the day, went to a spa, come back later on, like got a massage and everything, like proper relaxed, thinking, oh, this is Again? going all right. Yeah, yeah, because I'm like eight hours, I'm like, it's so cheap. It was literally like, God, I think it's like £70 for like a massage, go to the spa for the day, everything like that. So you might as well make the most of it otherwise you're stuck in the airport all day. So um, went back to the airport, got back like three hours before, so plenty of time for the flight. And then the plan was to use like air miles to upgrade, um, which would have been like really nice, you know, make the most of it. And um, tr- and then uh, they they couldn't like check me in. We got to the check in thing, and the, the person was like, "Can't ch- can't uh, check you in, but I can check Laura in." And I'm like, "Why?" And he's like, "We can't find your ticket, even though I'd already picked a seat anyway on the plane. Like it said what seat I was in." So he was like trying to ring up British Airways. He's like, "They've done something wrong," and apparently the mistake happened. Something what they did. I was supposed to be getting a twelve thirty flight, but they cancelled that. I guess because not enough people, and they put me on the eight thirty one. And that bit, what they did, they fucked it up because they didn't do something. I don't know the full ins and outs, but anyway, I was trying to get them to sort it out. I had to go to the desk. They couldn't sort it out in time. So I ended up missing my flight. Laura ended up flying on the Virgin one because they wouldn't let her, like, if she had got the British Airways one with me, she would have had to pay for it. And obviously she'd used her miles to upgrade. So she's not going to like lose an upgraded flight, you know, and then to travel with me on like uh, a crappy one. So she ended up flying by herself. I ended up having to wait another two and a half hours at the airport. They put me on this British Airways one. There was like four of us sat there. I was like squashed in on a row of four people in the middle seat. Oh my God, really? For 11 hours, mate, on an overnight flight. It was absolutely the, fucking horrendous. The, so the second, the, oh my God, that's the longest flight as well. Is Because uh, the middle seat in the middle with yeah, no, was, not even not even like a, a glimpse with four of people. what's going I know, that's absolutely horrible. 84 years old on one side of me, and he could barely stand up, so you couldn't really ask him to move. So (laughs) we had to ask the two people on the left, and then the two people on the left swapped at one point. They were younger, and their dad sat there, and he was quite a big guy. So then at one point, I had two big guys, and you know you're like fighting for the bit where you put your arms on, aren't you? Oh, I had that fight. I had that fight with an older guy as well. I had that fight with two people. I've got one person who's on his last legs. He's 84 years old, can't breathe properly. So you feel guilty trying to push him off. Then I've got this massive guy on the side of me next to me and trying to push him off. But his arms are, he's so big that his arms like literally naturally stay there. So he's got the cushioning. So if you push his arm, it just pushes into his body. So I can't push the bloody things off. So I'm like sat there. I'm thinking I'm on this shitty flight that I didn't even want to get on in the first place. Um, This is a nightmare. And then once I got off, I had to get the tube by myself luckily um 
I ended up not having the bike bag. Like Laura had it, which like, I say, luckily she was like stewing because she had to get the underground from Heathrow to Liverpool Street with like the bike box by herself, like going upstairs. You can imagine bike box case. Oh and, my like, god, that's absolutely. So she had to get like ra- luckily random people like offered her help to get it there. But she's like, this is horrendous. And then I'm there like uh, doing it. Ended up trying to get to Liverpool Street. Missed my train what we booked by half an hour, but luckily they let me on. Got on it anyway. Then was so tired because of the shit flight. I left my fucking drone on the pla- on the train. Oh, again? Again, yeah. Realised when I got home, like I drove home like 10, 15 minutes and then I realised, oh shit, I've left my fucking drone on there. And then like we go back to the train station straight away. I'm like, oh, I think I left my drone on the train. He's like, where are we sitting? We told him. He rang up, spoke to the conductor. The conductor went and had a look and said, I can't find it. And I'm like, oh, fuck's sake, you're joking, like, you can't find it. He said, come back at this time, like, I don't know, 4 p.m. or something, and we'll see whether or not, like, the cleaners find it when they come on the train. So went back there, he said the cleaners found it, and really? uh, or whatever, and we got it. But I was like, holy shit, like, not only if I had oh the journey my God. from this, home. Is this the third time that you lost and forgot your drive second, second, t- second time, second time. That's probably why you aren't a videographer. Like, more times, and I've lost it more times than I've actually used it. <laughs> I've only used it once. <coughs> uh, how? Uh, Don't worry. How, I'll just die how, slowly in the background here. <laughs> <laughs> what was the background noise? Like, Probably my lungs, mate. <laughs> <laughs> um, anyway, um, yeah, that sounds absolutely horrible. Well, I had the same nightmare shite on the airport as well. It's just, this is going to be a bit of a depressing podcast, isn't it? But uh, maybe you'll learn something from this if you're traveling as a triathlete. So I booked a, a flight through KLM from Amsterdam to Port Elizabeth and Port Elizabeth to Amsterdam with a stopover in Tilburg. Well, we all, we, we know the drill. And I booked it through KLM, the whole flight, because I knew uh, that I wouldn't be having to mess around with picking the bags up, rechecking it and, and double paying for the bags, right? Because you just book one trip. Um, and it was more expensive, but I thought just do booking two single trips, so a single trip to Joburg and then from Joburg to Port Elizabeth uh, would have been cheaper, but then it's more hassle, isn't it? Yeah. Well, on the way back, checked in from Johannesburg, and I said, well, I just want to uh, check my bags in uh, all the way up to Amsterdam. And she said, oh, no, that's not possible. You can only check it into Johannesburg. You need to pick it up there again. Said, well, all right. Well, it is what it is. That's already the first annoying bit. And then she was like, uh, "You need to pay for your bags." And I said, "Well, um, sorry, I've, <laughs> I'm a freaking flyer." <laughs> and she said, "You're a freaking flyer." I said, "Well, uh, yeah, with uh, KLM, where I booked the air, uh, like I booked a ticket with KLM, but this obviously is done by another." So uh, she charged uh, you twice for him, mate. I got charged twice for the luggage. That is a total headache. Isn't oh, we it? only paid once, and we booked them in like uh, when we booked them in. Uh, in London, they tagged them all the way through to Port Elizabeth. So even when we picked them up, they were all tagged. On the way back, like on the way out, it was all right. But then on the way back, I had to pay twice. I had to pay twice. She said, no, I don't believe you. I said, well. <laughs> oh, they did that. To, they tried to do that to me on the way back as well. They're right. I told and then, them. Did, I, they're just trying to scam you over in South Africa. Because then she was like, I said, do you have got any tape? Because I wanted to tape something up. She said, no, nah, I should just wrap the bag over there and you can only pay cash. I said, can only pay cash. What's this? Like money laundering on the airport. I said, what's that? So I've only got a card. She said, no, you can only pay cash here. I said, that's just so weird. It's an international airport. I can only pay cash. I said, I don't, I don't trust any of this stuff. I kicked right off them at them, mate, when they tried to stop me from checking in my bags. Not only <laughs> they made me miss a flight, two flights, they're trying to charge me 150 pounds to check my bag in. I was like, no, don't think so, mate. Like, I'm paying so, that. Uh, James you- Mitchell told me there's another pro triathlete and she had to pay something like 800 or 600 uh, dollars to uh, 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 check in her overweighted bag. Why is her that? Over- overweighted bike. I don't know. What was it 100 but, kilos or something? T- I have no <laughs> clue. So, but but they uh, they screwed her over. She got screwed over, mate. Like, and she oh, had to pay it in cash. Whoa. That is, uh, yeah, that is. Uh, That's I just was, a scam, isn't it? Yeah, I said to him, uh, I'm like, basically, I'm not paying it. Like, if you've really made me, I've got to get this crappy flight that I didn't even want to get. And uh, I would have been on another one. I would have upgraded with my miles and I would have got the bags for free. And then they're trying to charge me three times the price, what it would have cost me with Virgin to put but my bag in. But anyway, uh, let's, let's go over to the highs. Yes, let's go, go over, over yeah. Let's go over the highs. I haven't, my, I haven't really got any highs, to be honest. Like I've just like, 
uh, felt fatigued, like felt flat at the race. Actually, the only good thing I'd say was actually making the most of some sun uh, in South Africa. My travel back was horrific. Since I got back, I've like, uh, uh, actually, one high I would say is I got some new shoes from Hoka, which are like prototypes at the moment, and they feel incredible. That was a massive high because there was only going to be three of us using it in St. George. But um, that's like, you can't post any pictures, but that's the biggest high because they got got me all excited, you know, trying them fast, uh, looking to smash it. But I haven't really, uh, other than that, that's not really clutched at straws. (laughs) (laughs) I've got... I've got a new mic, Joe. It's my third mic. Oh, that's the third. bullshit buster, isn't it? That's the bullshit buster, That's mate. probably is the bullshit buster. I went over to the store. I said, well, I'm not, I don't want to, that mic that I had before, I just don't want it ever again. So is that, do you uh, actually buy it from a physical store then? I thought you were buying them online. Yeah, it's online, but they've got a physical store as well in The Hague. So, uh, but the annoying thing is the broken one, they're sending it back. So they're probably trying to repair it and then give it back to me. And I, I said, Mate, we've got people actually listening to the podcast, so I can't, I can't be messing around with shit audio quality. And right now, as we speak, you're not recording with a mic because yours is broken as well, isn't it? Mine's broken. We've gone through five of these Rode mics between us. And Tom's, for some reason, the last two he's had hasn't even worked the first time he's taken it out of the box. Absolutely like... crazy. And we just spend an amazing amount of money on these things. I just bought a new one, a proper mic. Well, the other ones was pro- were proper as well. They were 80 pounds, weren't they? 80 quid each. Yeah, 100 like... euros. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but anyway, uh, Joe, some other cool news. St. George, I've booked all the tickets and everything last week for uh, for St. George. The mozzarella is going over there. Um for the triathlon mockery. Uh, make sure you pack your suntan lotion, mate. You've still got mine from South Africa, haven't you? So make sure you pack, make sure you take that with you. Um, well, I just wanted to tell the the followers of the podcast the following thing: what the idea is behind the trip to uh, Saint George. So basically. It's a free holiday for the mozzarella, but he's going to try and dress it up for you. <laughs> well, free holiday. It's costing me a couple of thousand dollars, mate. There's no free. So what are you going to do? What's your plan then? Let the get them excited. We want all right. excitement here. Listen up. This is the plan, boys and girls. Um, I'm flying in to LA. No, I'm not flying into LA. I'm flying to Las Vegas. <laughs> Las Vegas. Then I'm meeting one of the triathlon all-star heroes, Chris XX. You should do a day at work with him. Yeah, I'm gonna do so the first the first vlog. I'm I'm flying out with Pepe, he's my mate, he's going to do the daily video videos in St. George. Uh the first day we're going to do a day at work with Are you <laughs> with really? No, no, no. Um Chris XX are going I and I are going out on the streets in Las Vegas, and we're gonna ask some people out on the streets what they think about the Ironman World Championships, and we're gonna to hope to get some really goofy answers as well as I'm gonna do a triathlon in Las Vegas. There's a triathlon on that weekend. Uh, there's another triathlon hero in Las Vegas th- that weekend, Paul Velder. I'm trying to get him on to triathlon as well. Uh, still a bit unsure because he's there for the UFC fights. Then on after that triathlon, I'm driving down to St. George on the Saturday. Um, I rented this uh, uh, mobile, this RV thing mobile home i did it because then in the evenings we could like either uh, host a podcast there outside or we could host like a barbecue right now we need to make a schedule like what we're going to do when and what people actually want to see so basically it's going to be a daily vlog of the stuff that's happening in the world championships questions out on the streets mockery style as well as uh well obviously i'm, I'm going to train uh, I'm going to train with a couple of the pro athletes. For example, uh, I, I, I had a chat with uh, the Terminator. I'm going to do a 300 watt out on course right with him. Uh, stuff like that, basically. And I want to. So are you going to try and like hang like 12 meters behind him and just see uh, see how long well, you last or if you last the, the whole the, thing? I've almost averaged. I've just averaged under 300 watts in uh, Ironman uh, 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 South Africa just then. So, uh, so so if he's not on his so if he's not on his A game, then he might be struggling to keep up with you then. Well, that's the thing. He he's riding at three hundred and ten, three hundred and fifteen watts, isn't he? So we'll, we'll, we'll <laughs> but you're confident that you can stay with the Terminator. I'm confident I can stay with him for a lap at least. Yeah, yeah. There's uh, only no, one but, lap, mate. It's only one big lap. It's just hanging on for dear life, really, isn't it? But the thing I think is uh, is cool to show the people out there. I mean, there's so many different training philosophies out there with regards to Ironman, and I think whenever training with a couple of the pro athletes out there. 
uh, is to have a little look in that and um, why they do stuff, why they train like that, why it works for them. Uh, I had a little chat with uh, uh, Michael Iden, and I'm curious what he thinks about LT3 uh, with regards to LT1 and stuff like that. So I said, if he's up for an extra podcast on uh so I'm going to make a schedule of what we're going to do out there, but I'm still open for any plans. But basically, that's the whole trip. It's planned. It's booked. Uh, so I'll be there uh, till the Sunday after the race. So you're getting the insights from all the triathletes, basically. Michael I'm collecting Eden. all the knowledge. I'm coming back to the Netherlands. And, uh, well, I'm probably gonna not going to use it. <laughs> he'll have so much knowledge, he won't know what to use. So he'll be so confused that he'll be doing a little bit of everything. It'll be like a pizza where you like get a vegeta want a want a vegetarian pizza, but you add meat on it or something like that. You know, it just doesn't quite work, does it? I know. Is uh, yeah, curious to see. But anyway, um, so that's that's about St George. If you've got any other uh, tips, Joe, you can just throw them in. Like I'm, I'm uh, uh, rock and roll. I want to see you clean the pros' bikes after you've done a ride with them. Like grafting, you know, they they go out on a ride with you, do some training, and you're there like cleaning their bike for them afterwards while you're interviewing them. So, by the way, uh, <laughs> we came to this we came to this idea because we actually wanted to have a bike cleaner as a, a sponsor over there, but in the end, um, they didn't want to sponsor uh, the biggest podcast in triathlon. <laughs> uh, <laughs> so that's why we had the the idea about cleaning bikes. But anyway, yeah, if you're um, if you've got any ideas, or if you want to back the podcast, go over to our Patreon's website, and uh, we got, we can make that stuff happen. Uh, and also, if you're a patron, uh, send us some uh, stuff if, if you want us to talk what you want us to talk about on the patrons uh, podcast as well, because we're always up for ideas, and uh, basically we want to make it for you guys. So if you've got any ideas, any stuff, just uh, let us know. Cool. Over uh, to the next subject, Joe. I think that's about it for St George. Um, Main subject of the week, Joe, COVID. COVID. Um, I think we can start off with, uh, now that we have a chat about St. George, how, like, you plan, You were saying you plant your chip to uh, Flagstaff and all that. What's, um, have you had a thought about all this yet? Well, I thought I was actually going to be one of them people that never caught COVID. I thought I was invincible. Like, Laura had it. I didn't catch it when she had it. I thought, you know, I'm uh, I'm going to escape this. And then bloody got me, didn't it? Um but yeah, like with uh, in terms of like what I've planned, I mean, I haven't really planned anything at the moment. To be honest, if if I'm honest with St George, I think it's uh, probably a fifty fifty as as to at the moment now as to whether or not I compete because um, I've heard a lot of athletes that have got back into training too soon after COVID and uh, they've, it's just lingered on. They've had like long COVID and they've been out for about six, um, well, five six months without feel until they feel good and this. There's so many big races this year that like... So the risk, indeed, if you get back to trading too soon is, uh, well, a heart... How do you call it in English? A heart, heart, not a heart disease, but... So you can get lung COVID or you can get something with your heart. Well, yeah, or your lungs, but like you just feel... I think what they do is they just end up struggling with fatigue and not recovering properly from sessions and then not being able to train properly. So obviously, like if you're a normal person and you go out walking around and stuff, you're not really going to notice it. But when you're trying to become an elite athlete and you want to try and train for an Ironman, you know, and potentially win an Ironmans, if you can't train properly and you can't recover from sessions, you're going to be totally fucked, aren't you, really? Um, and um, so, and, and also, I think, if I think about it logically in my head, like, if I do get back into training too early and then can't train properly, I'm not going to get a result in St. George anyway, am I? You know, because on the day, you're going to be screwed. So it's not like you can really hurry it because... I mean, if I wanted to go there to get a finisher's T-shirt, then, yeah, you know, it wouldn't matter. But I want to go there to get a result. So I want to see how long it lasts. I don't want to hurry it, like getting back into training. And then if I feel like I can get into training all right and do a couple of good sessions, then I'll race. But, like, it would just be, like, if mentally in my head I feel like I'm I'm fit enough to get a result. But mm-hmm. if, if, it takes, if it takes a while to get back and then I do some training and I, I don't feel like I can get a result, then I'm just going to have a plan B and uh, look to build up gradually for another race because I don't want to overdo it and I don't want to go there just to like make the numbers up. Like I want to go there to get a result. So we just have to play it by ear. But it's a 50-50 at the moment, if I'm honest. I mean, that's the whole, that's the hard thing about top sport, isn't it? Uh, you're always, 
living on the limit. If it's like COVID, an injury, stress fracture. Um, and also this thing with COVID, like what are you going to do? Are you going to, for the rest of your life, not talk to anybody or uh, uh, always keep distance, always... Uh... And it could happen at any race, you know, like, I mean, like some like uh, someone said to me, oh, like South Africa was a, was, a, was a big mistake. And it's like, well, in hindsight, yeah, because I caught COVID, it was, but like, if I hadn't caught COVID, then it would have been fine. You know, I'd have been flying on Monday. I would have got a race in the, in the legs, which like for me always makes a massive difference. And like mm-hmm. you could go and race a 70.3 in Europe. And actually I know some people that race to Lou and they've caught COVID as pros since, since that race, uh, you know, going out there. So it's not like you're any more safe a race than other races. So there's a lot of it going around at the moment. I mean, in England now, they've got rid of doing the free test. So there's no testing. Uh, from like the April 1st so there's no idea of how many people have actually got it and a lot of people like my partner when she had it she didn't have any symptoms so like she wouldn't have even known it was only because she was going to her parents for Christmas she did a test so like you could be with someone who's got no symptoms shows nothing and you catch it and you could react differently so it's just a complete lottery really isn't it mm-hmm. you know so the ironic thing is her mum said to me uh on Friday the day like the day before I actually properly like tested positive she said, oh, you know, Joe, it's not when you catch, it's not if you catch it, it's when you catch it. And I was laughing, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, I haven't caught it yet, have I? I've been like, you know, just joking around. Next day, tested positive, boom. I'm like, oh, you bloody talked that up, Gail. Yeah, I, I thought I was uh, invincible COVID-wise. Like, I've been in so many situations where, like, literally everyone in the room is fallen except for me. And I was like, oh, I'm that one guy people talk about that's got the... Uh, immunity or something like this special gin that they keep talking about but apparently no so fra- we've getting fragile. back we've getting back into training from it like um uh, you've how many days have you taken off since you've you've you officially tested on wednesday full week full week like, so he's taking a full week not even and, I, and i've had i've had a couple of um uh, uh people saying that they, for example they had covid and then they start jumping on the bike at home just doing an easy spin i didn't even feel like an easy spin like i felt just absolutely depleted and, and i thought might as well just fully recover not do anything at all just give the volley i was mega tired i slept mm-hmm. loads that was just about 24 hours that felt absolutely horrible i mean a headache yeah. uh, a fever and all that and after that i was just fine just depleted and very tired and now it's been a week and yeah I'm that's feeling, the thing i'm feeling good again but uh for example yesterday i went for a little commute ride on my bike and i was already like breathing um so it's uh it's hard to say so i'm going out for a ride in an hour uh, and i'm going out for an hour easy spin and i'm just going off heart rate and i'm curious to see how that one goes yeah yeah a lot of people said to me oh just do some easy spinning while you're ill and i'm thinking well what the hell is that going to do you know like i'm going to be spinning at like 120 watts which like normally you'd only do an easy spin if you need you know to recover if you like let make your legs feel a bit better but like mm-hmm. you're not going to gain anything physically from it and if you're absolutely shattered or you feel really fatigued what is the actual gain that you're going to get just tiring yourself out more isn't it and probably prolonging the recovery i mean to be honest the most i'll do over these next few days if i do anything is just go for a, and, a little walk or something and it's not just uh uh with regards to COVID. it's like with with illness in general i mean if you're ill and uh, the majority of the time, you're only like really ill for 24 hours, uh, tops maybe 48. And then after that, you start to feel better, but you're still a bit depleted. And many people just rush it a bit like back into training. And that's the thing, that if you rush it too too fast, too quickly, then you're just going to feel flat for a long, long time. Yeah, yeah, no, totally. Back into it. But COVID is a uh, is a special beast. Because Ida, for example, my mate from Bora Hensgrohe, I remember he... Uh, he got COVID, I think, a bit more than a month ago. And did you then, say he got it twice, though? He's had it twice, hasn't he? Yeah, but the second time I think wasn't COVID, was just like normal illness. Oh, but did he not test them for COVID? He just said it was COVID, but he wasn't sure. Uh, the first time was definitely COVID. The second time, I'm not really sure. I think it was normal illness because it was within like a month again, wasn't it? All right. Um, but anyway, so he got COVID, then he felt absolutely horrible training-wise for... So he recovered from it, then he started back training, like really easy, but he couldn't even push the easy power numbers. Um, and now it's been a bit more than a month. I think it was in like the end of Feb. Uh, so it took him a bit more than a month, and he did the Amstel Gold race yesterday, which was his first, I would say, semi-decent race ever since, since that thing. And you said that he was in uh, he was in the breakaway, wasn't he? In uh, 
he uploads his power numbers. So we've actually, you can actually see his uh, his power numbers, can't you? Yeah, so he did the Amstel Gold Race yesterday. Uh, it's in the Netherlands. It's one of the classics. Uh, absolutely awesome race. So I think after how many Ks did they break away? Fairly, very early on, didn't they? Like, Went like Ks six, six Ks, apparently. Oh, six Ks, all right. Uh, till, I think, 140, maybe more. Something like 60 to go. Oh, no, way more. 180. 180. So, 190 basically 190. 190. it was like 60 or, or 50 <laughs> yeah like it was that. 250 something um, and um well you, you said his power numbers were up yeah so his power numbers are up so you can see that like the if you look at the actual total for the race so he averaged 265 you said he's it's a bit of clarification he's like did you say 68 69 kilos yeah 67 67 all right 67 uh so he averaged 265 watts and his weighted average power on Strava, which like I think normally is a little bit less than normalized, do you reckon? Or yeah. is 293. So basically normalized power is probably about 300 watts. And that was mm-hmm. like in the breakaway for like, well, in total four hours, 52 of the race. So he probably spent like four hours, 40 in the breakaway, four hours, 45 if it went that early into the race. Um, mm-hmm. Which actually seems like it's pretty much like, uh, like an Ironman effort, like going in the breakaway in a race like that. Because you can go on the power curve and you actually see like the peak minute power was 533 watts. So there's like a high intensity minute, which is probably when you're sprinting out the peloton and like getting across. But then it settles down quite a lot because the peak five minute power was only 367 watts, which was actually around that time at the start of the race and when he got in the breakaway. Um, but when you think about it, it's a mega hilly race. Like he did 198 Ks of it on Strava, I think once the breakaway got caught, he pretty much like headed like that was it for the, for his race. So he did 3000 meters of climbing in 198 K. So that would be similar to like Ironman Wales or something, you know, you know, mm-hmm. that kind of hilliness, um, similar to Ironman UK. So it'd be up and down all day. And you can see on the profile, there's like nothing, none of the climbs are massive, but it's just relentless. Um, it's all small it, little kickers. Exactly. Like between yeah, two and six minutes. I, I don't even think, think six minutes, like two and five minutes, pretty steep. Peak 30 minutes, 312 watts, which was like the first 30 So it's actually, uh, I think riding in the breakaway like that could actually be a bit more similar to like an Ironman effort, can't it? Well, yeah, his his peak 22-minute power was 312, and then his peak three-hour power was was 268 watts. So it didn't really change that much, and 44 minutes was 289. So basically, his three hours was only 20 watts less than his 40 minutes. So basically, he kept it. Once the breakaway got away and he put that effort in at the start, it was a really consistent, yeah, just steady rolling through, basically, which is really similar to what you're doing in Ironman. So it shows that actually it's interesting because like being in a breakaway in a race like that is a very similar effort to to an Mm -hmm. Ironman. You might push it a little bit harder on the climbs, which would, or like when you go through, but then when you're, when you're, in the in the little group that you're in the little breakaway you're not pushing you're not getting a really easy bit but you're mm-hmm. not pushing that hard and it's just consistent like like that i mean it, it it all depends really if you've got like a massive mountain stage this this doesn't really uh account does it or uh but the got, is a massive race though like our, i know power would have been higher because that's I, like- I would have thought that because sometimes you can see uh uh, uh for example Mathieu Vanderpool uploading his power and he's got like four hours normalized power something of 350 or 340 uh that's absolutely massive but isn't it, it just shows though like the reason why you could they if you go into Brett you know if you're uh the reason why they can finish it so fast in some of these races is because if you're trying to save the energy sitting in the bunch in the peloton if you're only putting out 260 watts in the breakaway the peloton by the time they get into the last 50 60k has only done probably 220 some of them you know 220 <clears throat> 230 watts maybe i mean i've yeah. seen like that but i mean obviously they're going to finish it very fast you know on the climbs and it's getting the tactics right and i guess it's just a matter of like staying out of trouble making sure you're near the front and in a good position when you get to the critical point mm-hmm. of the race but it shows that like the first part of the race isn't actually probably that intense is it you know but once the hammer goes down but then obviously it gets really hard because if everyone's a lot fresher when it does get to the critical bit they're gonna put really smash it aren't they definitely it all uh, depends on the course yeah quite interesting to have a little look at that and uh, he, he was, you that train power. with him sometimes as well don't you or you used to like, yeah it's the, the big difference between triathletes and cyclists is just uh for example he would do loads of vo2 max stuff so uh 
uh, 4020s. And then his 42nd power would be, he, he would try to hit like 500 watts. And um, he's just really, he's just able to recover really fast from them VO2 max efforts. And you can see that as well in a race, like they would go up a climb really hard and then recover, hard, recover. Uh, whereas in an Ironman, you just keep it steady. So sometimes we're doing a ride where I, I'm like motoring it all day and he's like, oh, can we ease up? Can we ease up? Yeah, because then, I think them kind of rides, what he does in the breakaway, really fuck some of them cyclists up because yeah, when definitely. they come to Ironman, they really struggle in an Ironman where you're keeping a pretty hard intensity all day. And that obviously is why, because of the training they do. Like you say, like they can do go so, really hard, they recover and really hard. I, I, I wouldn't be able what he's doing and... Uh, well, he is probably, it's just the way we train, really. We train differently. We do a lot of stuff at uh, uh, 70.3 pace, like zone three stuff, lower zone four, uh, uh, you know, long blocks. He would never do a 40-minute tempo, like never, ever really? in his training, like never. So basically what we're getting at, uh, Camworth, if you're listening, is if Ineos want a rider that can get in the breakaway in Amstel Gold Race to take the pressure off people like Tom Pidcock, <laughs> Tom Utrecht is your man. He's free. He's not signed up to the team at the moment. So if you want is to sign it... him up, DM him on his Instagram. <laughs> Either Triathlon Mockery or Tom that... Utrecht, he'll see it. So, <laughs> it's, uh, I, I actually, I'm actually curious. I, I would want to do a cycling race one time. I mean, I've done some local local crit races, but like a uh, one, of, one of the bigger ones. Really curious how I'll try to uh, that's also a bit used to chain gangs and all that because the one that only rides on his TT bars, their bike handling skills are absolutely horrific. Like that's what I saw in Ironman South Africa. There was, uh, I caught up a group. We're going down a wet descent and oh my God, they were descending like wet wipes. Like honestly, I think I took like 10 seconds out of them just with one corner, one corner. It was it was only, it wasn't even mega technical. What that's more was of, it? Sorry, uh, where you went down... Uh, so you had the two hilly bits on the way back, yeah, and a little bit flat, and then you're going down just right before you go to the coastal road. Oh, where there's that sharp 90 degree left, yeah. Just just before I caught up, uh, just before that descent, I caught up with Scott Bevel's group. We were having the iron war, went down the descent, and oh, we I never wanted... mentioned about the iron war, did we? We no, on we the didn't. last podcast, like well, that was what we said. So before South Africa, there, there was going to be a battle of the ages, like forget the uh. The race for the win it was all about two instagrammers two youtubers tom Usterdeck versus scott bayvel who was going to come out on top and it all was right. actually quite an exciting race I'll, if you were following that, yeah it? this wasn't i had so many people that were saying i was following this race more than the lead group of the race <laughs> so basically uh what happened was swim scott bayvel is an absolute awesome swimmer isn't he he's he's an awesome swimmer so I knew I had to make it up on the bike. Uh, luckily, the swim was uh, shortened, so uh, the deficit wasn't too big. I but think you're I'm, lucky that you're lucky that he had a terrible transition. Otherwise, he would have been in that group. Like, I know, I know. That cost him. That it was the transition that cost him. But anyway, race recap about the Iron War. We all know Scott Bevel is an awesome swimmer, isn't he? Like he's an awesome swimmer. Wasn't he? Wasn't he close to like the front? Wasn't he in the front group? But he had a trouble. Yeah, he was. 25 seconds but unfortunately for scott Mayvell, he doesn't know how to put socks on quickly and uh put his shoes on so he lost the front group and that was the decisive moment in the iron war wasn't it because he then missed a big group uh which he would have been in wouldn't he he would he would have definitely got been in that for a decent amount of time definitely. and that would have saved him so in the iron war that put him on the back foot then yeah that could have been decisive for uh, for the iron war uh anyway um i got out of the swim about a bit more than a minute behind uh, Scott Bevel, leader in the Iron. You're about a minute and a half, mate. A minute and a half behind him, All I right. think. I saw. M- minute and a half. Mentally, but it then was after about- transition, but in tra- after transition, you were only just over a minute. His transition was that bad. He lost forty seconds in transition. Oh. <laughs> but anyway, um, the the mentally, it felt like I was six <laughs> minutes down. But I didn't know. I didn't know at that time. I just went out full. But first, I uh, um, I'll read a little bit about Scott Bevel thing he was saying that during the race he was racing the beginning bit because he was trying to catch up with your group at something like olympic distance power so he's trying to catch up your group uh then it was the mozzarella all the way in the back trying to catch up well with with whoever he's able to catch but up he got with. out of transition one second behind behind me really 
Yeah, on because you can see it on uh, the tracker. So it was literally just must have missed it at the start. Like if he'd have been, uh, if he'd have got on my feet at the, uh, on my, got with me on the start of the bike, then he would have been uh, towed up. But like I hit it hard as well because I knew that if you don't get onto a big group like that, you're totally fucked, aren't you? You know, True. that's it. They're gone. True. But anyway, uh, on the bike, I think after well, you've got the turnaround. <laughs> when was the turnaround? About forty five k's in or something like that. Off. Oh further i think because it was oh no actually yeah because that first bit was shorter wasn't it the other bit yeah, yeah about 40 so about 45 k's in and i could see uh for, for first I saw the lead group then was like 12 to 13 guys then i saw a couple of single ones i think two guys and then i saw scott Bayville with his group and he was with about four or five hours of others and then it was me and i was still about like three minutes down two minutes down i reckon um so then it went into the bit, like into a massive headwind, and I decided to push it a little bit harder. To, would, uh, before we go any further, what would you have rather got out of the res, the race? Was it like, would you have rather got 10th place and Scott Bayville beat you, or beat Scott Bayville and finish like 11th or say, you know, something like that? Well, when the Iron Ten, War... Prize made, went down to 10th place, guys, as well. Prize money went down to 10th. Winning the Iron War, because that's forever, isn't it? Like, that is so that a massive was, so one to win. So he was a big target for you to try and to try and to try and get. <laughs> well, it's gonna it's gonna get exciting in a bit. So anyway, so after the turnaround, I saw him. I've put in a long dig, and then I caught his group. And it wasn't a long flat bit in the middle, and we got towards the end of the long flat bit, and then you've got the downhill bit, and then along the coast. But then I sat in on the back of his group, and because that was the first time in one and a half hours that I finally had got some rest. And uh, yeah, it was one hour and 24 minutes where I've got normalized power of 330 watts and average power of 320. Uh, so I managed to catch up his group. Uh, then I sat in for like two Ks and literally I was pushing. Well, I can show you because it was very, very easy. Uh, he was running out on the front though with a guy, average 250. So he, uh, that shows you six, saves like 70 watts. Um, then... I thought this was the descent bit and literally I caught the whole group in the descent bit, like the whole group. They were all like breaking, going 20 Ks an hour. Um, then I went on the front and I thought like, I, I said to him like, all right, let's do some turns and like very hard turns on the front and see if we can get it, catch up with your, your group. Because if you work hard with uh, a group of seven and everyone would do like 330 watts on the front or 320 watts, just taking like four minute turns, you can easily catch some of the guys up up front, can't you? Because if you work together yeah, and do yeah. it well, even on a legal distance, you can make up a whole lot of time. But no one wanted to do turns. So then I was like, <coughs> all right, if no one's going to do turns, then I might as well just uh, uh, drop them on the uh, uh, section because I'm not going to tow anyone along. So then uh, I think there was a little crosswind bit when I've put it in a, a dig, like a hot dig, five minutes, 386 watts average, 397 watt, uh, normalized. And that's where I uh, dropped Scott Bayville. And that could have been the decisive move for the Iron War in the end because uh, that ride I've put in in the end, I think, how, can you see how much it was on the bike? 10 minutes into Scott Bayville? Um. I wouldn't. I'd have to go on the uh, the thing to to see it, but it was a decent gap because I remember seeing you. Hold on, I'll get it up now. Go on. So uh, I've got it here. I've got it here. So he did four forty one on the bike, and I did three thirty two on the bike. So it's about nine minutes, almost ten minutes. So, uh, but he was out of transition like one minute earlier. So I've put in like eight minutes into the rest of the course into him. That was decisive, mate, because. I started off the run feeling absolutely, well, body-wise fresh, but my heart rate was pumping in my throat. Like the first K was all right. Well, I felt all right, but then I thought it was the heat. I just couldn't run. Um, after, I think, 10 Ks or 15 Ks, Scott Bayfell came flying past me. Like this smooth run, South African runner, you know, used to the heat. He was absolutely, he was, yeah, mate, I'm going, I'm flying. But then looks like about, a surfer as well, doesn't he? He looks like a surfer. Like Everyone was like, he's got like bleach, bleach white teeth, isn't he? Yeah, <laughs> like, yeah, he's, he's a cool light. Yeah, so, picture, you know, earlier in the week, and people uh, commented on it, and he was in the middle, and they said it was like a rose amongst thorns, mate, about us. Really? Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> it is. 
Um, but then, so he was uh, he was running really well, something like three uh, four minute K pace, which is a two forty eight marathon. But then about I think twenty five k's in, his car was totally parked. Was parked. So then he was run walking, and I was run walking. Thirty eight k's into the marathon, I've got junkyard dogs on the course saying, "Mate, the Iron War. Scott Bevel's just up ahead, twenty seconds. He's just up ahead." <laughs> and I could see, I could see it. So I'm run walking to, towards Scott Bevel, and I'm walking next to him, and I'm having a chat with Scott and say, "Hey, how are you doing, mate?" He said, "Well, could have been a better day, really." He said, "Absolutely cooking." I said, "Yeah, everyone's cooking. What, like 70, 17 pros dropped out?" But um, then I was thinking deep into my head, I need to break him. I need to break it. I need to win this war, but I don't want to go for a sprint finish because I didn't have a sprint in me. So I was like. So Shall if you we... would have walked to the end, imagine you two guys had gone to the end. Do you think he would have realized it was the Iron War and gone for it? Or do you think he would have not thought anything of it? Or like, what do you I think? Don't know. I, don't, I think he thought it. Of course he thought it. It's the Iron War. Do mate. you think he would have sprinted? You think he would have like sprinted you as well? Because he'd have thought, yeah. like, this is the Iron War. I need so to mind you, but this is, in the meanwhile, we got to K39. We're doing this very slow run walk, run walk. And then just like a sauna battle where I practice it, I tried to mentally break him. And I said, shall we run a bit quicker? Because I just want to get this one over with. <laughs> I just put in like a run that was a little bit faster than we have been doing. And before that, I was already like running always like 440k pace, which isn't really fast. But he was running like five minute k pace and he just couldn't run any faster. So he said at some point he was like, you just go, mate. You just go. I can't. I can't. I can't. So I said, yeah, yeah, I'm sorry, mate. I just want to get this one over with. I just want to get this one over with. <laughs> Sly tactic. Sly tactic. This, this was actually detected that brought me home the win. But to be honest, uh, Scott Bevel is, an, is a really honest and decent guy and a decent athlete that should have had in a full swim. He had a massive gap on me. And then on the bike, it would be uh, like coming off the run together and he didn't have his run. I didn't have his run. So Scotty, I know you're listening. I want that rematch. Uh, I think the crowd wants a rematch and uh, we owe it to the junkyard dogs. But does this count as a one versus zero for the iron war or what was this? A fade in race? Well, it counts as a one. It counts as a one versus zero. You can always use sly tactics like that. Like there's nothing wrong with that. But the problem is, now he knows your tactic. If you say that to him again, he's going to be like, ah, oh, he's used this on me before. I know. That <laughs> Literally. He, uh, I was just saying that. Oh, when, I, when I said it, like, oh, I just want to get this over it. Shall, shall, shall we run a bit quicker? And what about I was if he just, said, yeah, same here. <laughs> yeah, if, that's exactly what I was scared for. What, what, what if he was like, yeah, let's just get this over with and then run in like 410k pace. I wouldn't be able to. That would be overtopping it, wouldn't it? But anyway, yeah, but you must yeah. have had an idea because he was fading anyway. So you must have known that, like, if he was right, if you'd caught him up, that you were already running a bit slower if you were doing that. Yeah. So there were multiple times in the race that we saw each other. We went back and forth, back and forth. Absolutely mega exciting. Uh, anyway, Joe, shall we go over to the Instagram post of the week? Because this week, um, I thought we should skip the bullshit buster uh, because we don't really have a good one and we don't want a bullshit Not anything that was any sake. decent. No, we don't want we we don't want to bust for the sake of busting, uh, and we think uh, um, yeah, not not busting for the yeah. sake of busting. Anyway, Joe, Instagram post of the week. I was looking some some uh, some of the followers sent us in uh, the live stream of Challenge Salau, and there was this pro athlete, and he was, was it coming. A pro? I thought that was an age grouper. No, mate, he's a professional. He's a professional athlete. Professional meaning he's doing it for his living. This is his job. So yeah, but the thing is, before you go into any more, I just want to say to the listeners, they said if you use carbon shoes on the bike, they feel absolutely fantastic, don't they? You know, compared to like the composite stuff you can get on the shoes normally. You know, the, you go to carbon, way more stiffer. You get way more power transfer, don't you? They're great. Well. This guy, who's our who's our Instagram post of the week today, has taken it even further. He's thought, why have one plate of carbon when you can have two plates of carbon on the bike? You get even better power transfer. And the foam from his running shoes, which has been mentioned numerous times on this podcast, softens it a bit. So he's he he you could so say that he's ahead first, of the game. First, let's let's say let, let's say what happened. Professional triathlete, Chelen Salau. Chelen Salau was a run bike run. 
He was wearing the Nike Alpha Flies on the run. Then he came into T1 and on purpose, he was thinking like, I'm not going to change the shoes. I'm just going to keep them on and then hop onto the bike where he's got his cycling shoes already clipped in. Because so he's thought, running. You can see the logic. It's only a 55K bike, 60K bike. No, actually, was it the 80K, wasn't it? It was an 80K bike. So you think there's only 80Ks on the bike. I'll just do it in my run shoes. No biggie. Like, you know, be done. Yeah, and the cycling hours. shoes were already on there. So he's got the benefits of double carbon and then the softening of the run shoe, isn't it? Yeah. And he was thinking T2 is going to be rapid. I'm definitely going to have the fastest do you think, T2 out of everyone. Because the Alpha Flyers, they say, have got like four, four, four extra percent, don't they? Um, do you reckon them four percent extra will also translate power wise? You've got like four percent extra power. Oh, 100%. I bet if you look at his bike split, he would have smashed it. The only downside would have been because of the extra shoes, He, if he didn't think about that beforehand and move his seat a bit higher on the bike, it True. might have like put a bit more stress on his like quads because his legs would have been a lot lower. But if he thought about that and went the extra percent, moved his seat it's up just, the height of the stack of the shoes. I just I find it, it so absolutely fascinating how professional triathletes always find the extra couple percent. Every race, I see new stuff and new tactics, and I'm le- learning new new shit. It's absolutely I, amazing. I think the guy is an absolute trendsetter, to be honest. And I expect that next time when you go to like an Ironman, people will be putting like run shoes on in transition before they get on their bike, so they've got like double carbon and a fast T2. I mean, you think if that Lisa, if Lisa Becaris had done that in uh, Challenge Miami. Imagine how quick her TT would have been. Like she wouldn't have even had to sprint out, would she? She would have guaranteed it. She could even walk the T2 and she'll still be able to win that T2 transition time bonus. Yeah. Unbelievable. It's, this guy's this guy's ahead of the game. Um anyway, Joe, this is it for this week. Uh I I hope you're uh, recovering well. I'm going out for an easy ride right now. And if you want to support our podcast, making it possible that we can uh, get more content and thus the trip to St. George later on, hopefully, if it's a success, Kona. Uh, and let us know what stuff. athletes you want to see. Let us know what athletes you want to see out in St. George, uh, like who you think would be entertained and stuff, and we can contact them and uh, see if they're see if they're up for it. Yeah, and what if what if Joe they're not up for it because they don't like the podcast? Uh, then we'll hound them. You'll just, we'll just find, look on Strava and see where they go out training. Yeah, and then to, like, boycott. The, the dogs need to spam them. Need to spam them that they well, get the good, Well, the good thing is, <laughs> because you're pretty quick compared to most people that do podcasts and stuff like that, it would be hard for them to drop you. So you can always like just quickly suck their wheels and you think they're going to have to put in some big surges to drop you. So you can just Don't go Don't you think anyway. like Triathlon Terran or, or uh, the Ironman podcast, some of them guys would just bike really quick on the bike and then go up to them and say hey mate i want to go do a podcast let's do it right now here no they'll blow up he'll blow up he'll be in oxygen debt so we won't be able to spit it out he'll be trying to talk but he'll be gasping for air and the next thing you know he's dropped and then he he's like damn <laughs> it will be one of these these podcasts where someone is like breathing do you know this fetish where people are breathing in like microphones no i've not i've not heard of that i haven't been to out the red light district in Amsterdam <laughs> and seen all they've got to offer <laughs> guilty that's a, that's a new one all right <laughs> i did see on that weird louis Peru thing once before where that like you know them louis Peru documentaries like have you seen them like no. it was like the like weird fetishes and there's this one one where these like grown men pretend want to be pretend they're babies and they like sleep in a cot and stuff and pretend they're babies. That's so weird. That's so flippant. <laughs> Honestly, I'm not even joking. That is actually a weird one. That is so strange, isn't it? I hope I haven't offended anyone by saying <laughs> that on it. <laughs> I mean, if that's what you like doing, go ahead, right? Yeah. Um, as long as you know, don't do it in my living room. Anyway, uh, <laughs> Joe, uh, thanks for the chat. Recover quick, docs. Don't forget to rate the podcast and uh, uh, sign up for the patrons for only four or five dollars a month. And we'll be back next week, or with an extra episode this week if we feel uh, if we've got. We've something. got not much. I've got not much to do at the moment, so I'm, exactly. <laughs> I've got a lot of. Reckon an extra podcast. See you guys.